Well, good morning. It's good to be with you guys, you guys this morning. I know usually this is my part of the service where I get to go in the back and chill, so it's definitely weird just to come out at this, at this part of the service today. I wanna specifically thank the worship team this morning. Let's give them a hand. I'm so uh, grateful to have such, um, such a talented team with such a heart behind what they do that I can get the chance to speak this morning and not have to worry at all about the music and the worship and all the things behind the scenes that our teams are taking care of this morning. So it's great to be here. My name is Grace Marie. I am one of the worship leaders here. So usually I am singing and leading the, the congregation in worship and singing every Sunday morning. But this morning I have the chance to speak to you from my heart and from God's word. And so I'm very excited about uh, the message and what we can all learn together today from God's word. You know, we just saw this video and just heard this song about what it means to be in a season of waiting. We have been in a series called The Waiting Room the last few weeks, and I have loved all of the weeks, and I think that God is doing amazing things in, in our hearts as he's teaching us about what it means to be in a season of the in-between, a season when you don't know what's coming next and you didn't necessarily put yourself there. Maybe you did put yourself there. Maybe somebody else's decisions have landed you in this in-between season and you just feel stuck. What do you do when you have to wait? The waiting room. Well, this morning we're gonna look at how waiting has something to do with what we could do in the middle of it is using music, uses, using singing to change what our circumstances may be like while we wait. You know, as a worship leader, obviously I love music. Do we got any people who love music in the room? Got any people? Oh, we got some clap. First service didn't even clap. They were like, music's all right. We got people love, love listening to the radio, you know, yes. How about we got any, any shower singers this morning? Soloist, you can try out for the worship team later. You can talk to me after the service. That's awesome. Um, yeah, music is awesome. I love music. My love for music really began when I was really little, even though I didn't get into worship leading until way later, like 17, 18 years old. My love for music started when I was very small. And I credit most of my love for music to my grandma, who I call my nanny. My nanny's watching this morning. Hey, nanny. She is in Timmonsville, South Carolina. She's probably frustrated right now because the internet out there isn't so good, so it's probably going in and out, so she's not getting a good signal, but hopefully she's getting this message this morning. But she is a huge part of why I love music. As a little girl, my parents both had to be at work really early, and so they would always drop me off at my grandparents' house when I was very small, and I spent a lot of time at them. Now, we lived way out in the country in Timmonsville. Everybody knows where Timmonsville is? I got some folks from Timmonsville right here, my family. Good to see y'all. Timmonsville, I'm from Florence, but Timmonsville is like a little outskirt town from there. It is the country, y'all, I promise. It is the country, and I loved it. And I grew up spending a ton of time at my nanny and papa's house. Now, my grandma loves to sing. She would sing all the time, and I have memories as a child sitting on the front porch swing out in the country. You can hear the cows mooing. It's just a nice scene, and she'd just be singing. She would sing hymns. She would sing country songs, because I love country music. How many country music lovers we got in the room? Like seven. Okay, more over here. That's good. I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you guys. I love country music. And so my grandma would be singing parts. And I remember doing that on the porch. I remember driving down the road on these long country drives, and I remember I would just sit there and hold her hand, and she would teach me about different harmony. Now, when I do this, I'm doing the alto part, and I would start picking up on all of these different things. And so it started becoming really natural for me to sing and to just love music. Now, when I was six years old, she informs me that her church is having a talent show, okay? And I think in her head, maybe this is my opportunity. Like, she's like, I want you to sing 
at the church talent show. Now this was a, a talent show at Salem United Methodist Church, which is a small church also out in the country in Timminsville, a special place, still a special place in my heart. But she says, she lets us know, talks to my parents, talks to me, I pick a song, and she lets me know, I think you know, you should, you should do this talent show. Now this is gonna be a talent show, not just kids, it was like everybody in the church. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody in church could sign up for the talent show. And I have dug deep into the archives of VHS this morning to bring you this tape from 1989. I wanna specifically thank my dad for the camera work on this, okay? It's fantastic. Um, but let's check it out. 1989, six years old, singing my first solo in front of anyone ever. Notice the sense of immediate relief. I didn't smile the whole time. I'm like, ah. okay, I was very scared. My favorite part about the whole thing is how I actually say hallelujah. I say hallelujah. Anybody, anybody saying hallelujah in the house that my family has forever made fun of me that I said hallelujah. I probably had something to do with the fact that I was snaggle teeth. Did you see that? I was missing like four teeth. I've won. Somebody saw it in the group and was like, you not have any teeth? I'm like, I have like one, chill. Like I was like two fairy stuff, you know. Um, but I, I love that, you know, I love, I love that, that I got to, to, to do that. And I didn't, obviously, I didn't know what all that meant at the time. You know, one thing I love about that too is that um, I would like to say that I think my accent has gotten less country since I've lived in Columbia. I've lived in Columbia since I was 19. I will be 37 in a month and a half. And so some of the way I said the hallelujah and I'm adopted and my father owns me, I don't know if you caught that. Like, that's country, I feel like I've, I've come a long way with my accent. But this morning, what I love about that is in saying hallelujah, I'm saying some powerful truths. I'm saying some powerful truths about what I believe about who God is. And even though I didn't fully know the implications of all of that at the time, I do believe that when we have powerful truth, matched with powerful music or powerful melodies that we can remember, I believe that that coming together can have a huge impact in our life and the way that we see things that we're facing. So this morning, we're gonna look specifically at Acts chapter 16 about Paul and Silas and a situation that they were in and how recalling things from memory, calling the truths of God can have a huge impact in your life and in your circumstances. So if you have your Bible, I want you to go ahead and turn there, Acts chapter 16. If you don't have your Bible, you can turn to 
your app and you can get it out and you can follow it along. Also, if all else fails, it is gonna be on the screen and I'm gonna read it for us this morning. Acts chapter 16. To give you a little backstory about what's going on, is this story is about Paul and Silas, okay? They're on a missionary journey. Paul and Silas have been transformed by the love of Jesus, okay? They have experienced the good news of the gospel. They've been changed to the point that they say, hey, we don't believe in just keeping this for ourselves. We believe this message is so amazing and so life-changing and so full of hope that we're gonna go other places and we're gonna tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. And so they're out on what we call a missionary journey, okay? And they believed not just in telling people about Jesus around them, they believed in going to places that had never even heard about Jesus. They're going into towns, they're going into cities that have their own gods. They have their own temples for worship. But they believe that sharing this message is such a big deal that they are out and they are telling people and they're seeing God do amazing things. So we're gonna pick up the story. You can follow along on the screens or in your Bible. Acts 16 to verse 16. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. So first off, what we see here is there's this girl, this slave girl, who is, who is following Paul and Silas around. Now, a couple things to note. One is that she is a, is a slave to a spirit, to a demon. She's possessed. And she has this ability to tell the future. She has the ability to speak all these things and people listen to that. But the other thing that's happening is she's not just a slave to a spirit, she's also a slave to these masters. Because these people are exploiting her, they're taking advantage of her and they're saying, oh, we can make a dollar off of this situation. So these people own her and they're using her and so they're following her around and they love they love that she's able to do this because they are profiting off of taking advantage of this girl. Now, some of you would say, oh, I mean, Paul and Silas are there to share this message of how to be saved. Seems like free marketing, right? It seems like, wow, like she's like going ahead of them. She's telling people about it. This seems like it would help what they're doing. That's not exactly what's going on because it's more of a mockery. Pick it up in verse 18, it says, this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and it instantly left her. Now, you would think, you would think this girl who's been possessed by the spirit, we don't know for how long, but you would think the townspeople and other people would be like, wow, a miracle. She's been set free, she doesn't have to deal with this anymore. She could be herself. You'd think the miracle would be celebrated, but it wasn't because the masters are now gonna lose their opportunity at wealth. They can't get rich anymore. The person they were using has been healed by the spirit. This is what it says in verse 19. It says, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas, they dragged them before the authorities in the marketplace. 
The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they, shout, they shouted to the officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. Something so interesting about that. Did you notice that they didn't care what they were teaching when they were making a dollar off of it? Now all of a sudden it's like, well, the message that they're teaching is to turn our hearts from our God. You know, they had their own temple there. It's some really interesting research. If you do it at, the, at what kind of worship they did there in Philippi at their temple. But they were dedicated to their own God. And so they spend the whole situation, hey, these Jews have come and they're preaching about some message about some Jesus of Nazareth. And, you know, it's just, we're, we don't do that. We, we want to be faithful to our God. They make it sound like this religious Thing. They get everyone in a tizzy, and this is what it says in verse 22. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape, so the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. I love how it says the emphasis on the jailer. The jailer knew that this would be his head if they got out. So they didn't just put him in jail. They didn't just throw him in a cell. They put him in the deepest inner dungeon. They locked their feet in stocks. What are they gonna do? You see, Paul and Silas are here really because of injustice it's not right that they're there. They didn't do anything really to deserve this treatment of being beaten. How are they gonna respond in the middle of this? Because Paul and Silas, the prison cell has now become their waiting room. They just have to wait. What are they gonna do with us? What's gonna happen? And I can imagine in my head, if I was in that situation, if I would like to think what it was like sitting in that prison cell that night, what would it have been like? You know, I would think they would be thinking, hey, I'm shackled up and I'm mad about it, right? I'm mad about it. Or how about, I gotta figure out how we can get out of here now. We could probably trick somebody. My mind always goes back to the Andy Griffith show and the, when the jailer people, when the people in prison always wanted to figure out how to get the key that was hanging on the wall. I don't know if there was a key on the wall. But I'd like to think, maybe, maybe they'd be thinking about that. Like, I shouldn't be here, so I'm gonna do everything I can to get out of here. Maybe they were thinking, you know what? Maybe I should just give up. This whole Jesus thing isn't really working out. This hashtag blessed life is not what I have right now being in this situation. I've tried to be faithful, I've tried to go, I've tried to tell people about Jesus, and now we're getting beaten, we're getting thrown to prison. Why are we even doing this in the first place? Maybe we should just give this whole thing up. Or maybe they wanted to blame each other. I mean, Paul was a little bit of a hothead, if you read the scripture at all. And maybe Silas was thinking, you know, maybe you could have just kept your mouth shut, but no, you had to go and heal the girl. You just had to, and look where we are, because we love to blame somebody, don't we? All this stuff sounds familiar, doesn't it? It sounds familiar because when we get in situations, we frantically begin to think of all the ways that we can get out of the situation and all the reasons why we shouldn't be in the situation. But life happens, doesn't it? We lose somebody, we get sick, and we're waiting on a test result. 
hits us out of nowhere. Somebody we love gets sick and we're waiting on their test result. We get blamed for something we didn't do. Somebody leaves the family and leaves other people to pick up the pieces. Life happens and what we do in those moments that put us in the waiting can have a huge impact on what we learn while we're in the waiting. Let's pick up the passage, verse 25. Let's actually see what Paul and Silas actually do. Verse 25, it says this. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Wait, what? They were praying and singing hymns to God. You see, Paul and Silas knew something that the other prisoners there didn't know. They knew that they had been radically changed and rescued by the love of God, and they knew that in that situation that that God is still with them. They knew that this God is a God who has delivered people in the past, and they were holding close to the truth that they believed he could still deliver now, and that he is a God who will continue to deliver. You see, they had something to sing about. Paul and Silas had something to sing about, and they were hanging on to that truth. They were choosing to worship. You know, someone once said this one time, worship will get you through the toughest times in your life because it shifts your focus from the problem to the problem solver. Let me say that again. Worship will get you through the toughest times in your life because it shifts your focus from the problem to the problem solver. You know, th this isn't about, this isn't about us singing because you love music. This isn't about just singing because a leader asked you to sing your voice. This is the kind of singing that people have experienced the goodness of God and they can't help but sing it out loud. They can't help but let other people know that he is the God who has rescued them. Worship is the response. Something really amazing about this actual phrase in the original language, this phrase, singing hymns to God, is the Greek word, humneo. Everybody say that with me. Humneo. Oh, let's try it one more. Y'all better than that. Ready? Here we go. Humneo. Look, we got some Greek scholars in the room already. Awesome. All right, this word just means to sing songs of praise celebrating God. It's actually where we get our word hymn from. So, Got a hymn book? That's what, that's what it is. Modern day songs that we do now would, would also be referred to as a hymn. Now in Jewish culture, this word, humneo, was most often referring back to something called the halal. Everybody say that with me. The halal. There you go, got some Hebrew people in the room now. That's good. The halal. Now the halal was a part of Jewish culture. It was a part of Jewish culture where it was, it was the song that they would sing. They would sing it at feasts. They would sing it different times throughout the year. They would sing it at Passover. The halal is actually the song that Jesus and the disciples sang at the Last Supper, if you look that up and study that, which is fascinating. I'm like, oh, Jesus and the disciples singing. That's really cool. It's a cool thought. That's how they ended their Passover. It's, this, it's these psalms of praise to God. It's actually Psalm 113 through 118, the halal. And Psalm 136 is actually referred to as the great halal. It's this massive praise to God about his goodness, about his loving kindness, 
about his faithfulness. And most believe that Paul and Silas, while they're sitting there in the middle of the cell, while they're sitting in a dark circumstance, when it looks like they have no idea how to get themselves out of it, they choose to refer back to something that they know, which is saying, God is good, God is faithful, God is our deliverer. God is our deliverer. All throughout those Psalms, there's this word, halal. The Hebrew word halal means to praise, shine, to boast, to celebrate. And then also coupled with that word, all throughout these Psalms, you see this other word, this Hebrew word called yah. Everybody say that with me, yah. That one's easy. Say it with a little more anger, yah. There you go. I got people in the front helping me out. I appreciate it. When we see that word halal and we see yah all throughout the Psalms together, put those together, that's actually where we get our word hallelujah. You know, the word hallelujah is used all throughout our worship songs today. When we're saying hallelujah, we're saying we wanna, we wanna celebrate. We're gonna shine, we're gonna boast in who our God is because this word Yah means this. It stood for the name of the one true God, the personal God, Yahweh, which was short. Yah is short for Jehovah. So when we say hallelujah, what actually is being said is praise ye the Lord. Celebrate who the Lord is. Praise ye the Lord. Could it be that Paul and Silas were filling the prison with hallelujah? Filling the prison with the praises of God. Now hallelujah is a word many of us have used many times, I'm sure. I'm sure you've heard it, I'm sure you've sung it. In fact, as a kid, I'm gonna test out how many of y'all grew up in like a children's church situation. There's a little song that I learned, and if you know it, please don't leave me hanging. Sing the part when I point to you. The nine o'clock service did really well. Let's see if we can do this, ready? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. All right, and then later in the song, I go, praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Everybody, praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Paul and Silas knew something that other prisoners didn't know. They knew that they had been changed by the love of God and that this God is a deliverer. You see, all throughout those Psalms, there's amazing, amazing phrases that I would be, I would miss the opportunity not to say these to you, but listen to some of these things throughout this halal. This is some of the phrases it uses. It says, yes, give praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Psalm 115 says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name goes all the glory for your unfailing love and faithfulness. Psalm 117 says, praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise him, all you people of the earth, for his unfailing love is powerful. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Praise the Lord. It goes on to talk even more about what it meant for God's people to be rescued out of Egypt. You see, Paul and Silas knew the God who had rescued, and they were singing the praises of God, and they were filling the prison all throughout the halal, the God who is faithful. Let's pick it up and see what happens. The rest of that verse, which I love, this is one of my favorite parts about the passage. Verse 25, let's read it again and read the whole thing. It says, around midnight, 
Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Now, this is implying something, that they were singing loud enough for people to listen. You hear me? They were singing loud enough for the other prisoners to listen. This was not just a, hey, you know, we need to do that thing, that thing we were taught about singing to God. Let's do it, but I don't want people to know. I'm embarrassed. How about I'm gonna sing my part, you sing your part. Let's work on our harmonies, let's do that. They weren't doing that. They weren't sitting there worried about what people were gonna think. They were singing it so loud that the other prisoners could hear them all throughout. This was not a mumbling of God's praise. This was a shouting of God's praise. This was a victory cry of who their God was. You know, every Sunday, what I'm usually doing is leading you all in singing. And I love, I love that I get the opportunity to do that. It's one of my favorite things in the world is to be able to lead you all in worship and to turn our hearts to who God is through, through music and through worship. But sometimes I feel like we're not totally in it. You know, we're preoccupied. We're thinking about other things that have been going on. We're distracted. Um, we've come in here with lots of things, and I, and I get that. And that, that, there's a place here for that. But what I wanna encourage you with is if you have a song, if you have a, a heart full of worship to God, and you're declaring that he's good and that he's faithful no matter what it is you're going through, that says something to the people around you. So you have no idea that the person two rows behind you may have walked in ready to give up this morning. They could have walked in saying, I just don't know if I can keep trying to be faithful. You don't know that if the person right in front of you who can actually hear you, don't be nervous, it's okay if you don't feel like you can sing, they can hear you, but it's probably encouraging. You don't know if that person got a horrible diagnosis this week and they're literally thinking, God, what am I going to do? You see, you have no idea that your praise in the midst of what you're going through or your praise in the midst of, hey, I'm on a mountaintop experience right now and I'm gonna praise God because he's been good in my life and because he's been faithful. You don't know what that could say to the people around you because somebody might need to hear that this morning. When you walk into a room like this, people tell me this all the time, they'll come in and their spirits are low, and when they see a room full of people who are choosing to acknowledge that God is still God no matter what they're going through, that uplifts people's spirit. It does something. And here's what I believe. I believe that developing a habit of praise in the good times will give you strength to face the hard times. Developing a habit of praising the good times will give you strength to face the hard times because this is true. You may be going through a mountaintop season right now, but don't waste it. Don't waste the opportunity to say, thank you, God. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness. Because that in and of itself can be a testimony to people around you. And this isn't just about singing here. This is about a life of worship even outside of here. How do you deal with the things that you're going through? And for some of you who aren't on the mountaintop experience, you feel like you're in the valley. This is what else I believe is true, that declaring the goodness of God during the hard times will strengthen your praise in the good times. For you to still be in the middle of a waiting and I don't really know what, I wanna give up, I don't know what's happening, for you to still declare God is good, I'm gonna hold on to the truth that God is good. That is gonna strengthen your faith because when God delivers you and you're on the other side of it and you're singing his praises so loud, 
Your faith and your praise is even stronger because you can look back and say, I didn't give up on him. He didn't give up on me. He is still faithful, and that can be the very thing to push us forward. How many of you have a song this morning? How many of you have a song that you sing in the middle of the night when you feel like you're barely holding on and you don't know how that situation is gonna work out? When you're waiting to hear back some news, how many of you have a song that you hold onto about who God is? You know, the song Molly sang earlier, one of my all-time favorite songs. I told somebody, I was like, you know I love Molly if I'm letting her sing that song because I always wanna sing that song. It's just like right here in my heart. She did an amazing job. That song is so powerful, and I remember a few years ago when I was going through a hard time, that would be a song as I'd just be walking around or at work at my desk or whatever in the car, I would begin to sing, I need a reason to sing. I need a reason to sing. I need to know that you're still holding on, is what it's saying. My favorite part about that is when it turns at the end, and it says, that is a reason to sing. And it says, I will sing, sing, sing to my God, my King. For all else fades away. I will love, love, love with this heart you made. For you've been good always. That is a reason to sing. You may be holding on, you may be in the middle of it, and you may not even be able to get it off your lips this morning that God is still good and faithful, but maybe you need to hear that, and maybe you need to hear the cries of people around you. We need a reason to sing, Lord, but you've been good always. My favorite song right now that I feel like I just catch myself singing all the time is one that we've taught you guys recently, um, the goodness of God, you know. All my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I'm gonna sing of the goodness of God. We have something to sing about. I mean, I can look at my life, and I'm not stupid enough to think that I don't have hard things coming, okay? Like I said, I'm about to turn 37. I hope I have a whole lot of life left ahead of me. But I can even right now just look back on the last 37 years. I can look at the video of my six-year-old self and say, oh, girl, you don't even know. You don't know. Hold on to that hallelujah. Hold on to it. <laughs> Life gets hard sometimes. You're going to want to give up, and you're going to want to stop, and you're going to want to not be faithful anymore. But you know what? I believe. I believe that God is still holding on. And I know that I want to be the kind of person that can sing about the goodness of God now because I think that will get me through when I get to a hard time. When I get in the middle of it where I wanna start doubting God, all right, I really feel like, I'm, I feel like you're not gonna see me through this one. This one feels a little too difficult. I wanna be able to say, I'm gonna sing of the goodness of God because that's the kind of God that he is. Someone once said this. They said, when we enter his presence with praise, he enters our circumstances with power. When he enters presence with praise, when we enter his presence with praise, he enters our circumstances with power, and that's exactly what happened with Paul and Silas. They experienced the power of God. Let's pick it up in verse 26. It says, suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. 
The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. Remember, the jailer, it was gonna be on him. It was gonna be on him if they escaped. But look at what Paul said to them. Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. Now Paul knew it's gonna be the jailer's life. We can, all, every prisoner's chains fall off. We can get up and get out of here. We gone, we're gonna take ours. See y'all later. You would think. But he had enough wisdom, no, 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 we can't, we can't rush, we can't rush this. And it says this, it says, the jailer called for lights, he ran to the dungeon, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Every prisoner's chains fell off. The jailer experienced a miracle. He experienced salvation because he knew something's different with these two. First of all, a crazy miraculous earthquake just happened that broke everybody's chains, the doors flew open, and nobody left. Paul somehow got everyone to stay. Something is different about these two. Something is different with these two. They're choosing God over whatever circumstance they're in. They're choosing faithfulness over whatever circumstance is taking them over, and they are being faithful to God. Something is different about these two, and Paul and Silas share that message with them, and the jailer receives salvation. You see, when we choose to worship, it changes the atmosphere. I truly believe that. It changes the atmosphere because we are awakening people to the presence of God. We don't just pick songs to sing because, oh, that has a nice little beat to it. We try to pick songs that are gonna engage our heart and mind and draw us into who God is and how he wants to work in our life. Someone said it like this to me before. It's like when you take a thermometer, all a thermometer can do is tell you the temperature, right? It can take and read the temperature of a room. It can read the temperature of something, but a thermostat can actually change it. A thermostat can actually shift the atmosphere, and I believe when the people of God gather together as the church, and when we choose to worship who God is, whether we're in the mountain or whether we're in a valley, that God begins to do something in the room. I believe he's the kind of God who can take people from despair to hope, from worry to worship, from doubt to deliverance. And you have no idea you choosing to step into it and be faithful to sing the praises of God no matter what is going on, how God is gonna use that. Because raising your hallelujah could bring life and freedom for somebody today. I know for sure it will do something in your own heart. It'll keep your own heart and mind centered on who God is and the faithfulness of who God is. You know, everybody wants to have mountaintop experiences, right? Nobody, nobody goes through life as like, man, it's been a while on the mountain. I'm ready to get back in the valley. I mean, it's been a while. Whatever, God, it's cool. No one longs for the valley experiences. We love when we're on a mountaintop. We love when things are going well. But you know what? 
I think God does some of his best work when we're actually in the valley. I think God moves in amazing ways in people's hearts and lives when they're in the valley because what I know to be true is some of the greatest worship songs have actually come out of seasons of writers being in the valley, in the middle, in the I don't know what's gonna happen season. Take some time and look it up. Look up famous hymns and songs that, that we sing and find out about the backstory. It is well, an incredible story. We sing that today. Don't waste it. Don't waste the opportunity to sing those things to God. Amazing grace, incredible story. So many songs. Don't waste the opportunity to still sing the praises of God no matter what season you're in. You know, one of the songs we've taught y'all when we started this series is called Raise a Hallelujah. And it's, it's, it's one of my favorite songs, but it may be one of my favorite songs because I know the backstory of it. And this story is incredible. Um, it, it's about this boy named Jackson. His two-year-old little boy is from a church in California, and he came down with E. coli, and he got put in the hospital. He's one of a worship leader at a church out there, son. If you could show the picture. Two years old, in the hospital. He ends up being there for months. He's very sick. E. coli turned into another problem. I mean, it, it just, anything that could go wrong started going wrong with this little boy, and he was very, very sick. And so people began to flood his room with praises of God. I mean, like the worship leaders of the church, they would bring acoustic guitars, they would gather on the bed, they were singing, they were praying, they were praising God, they were asking for a miracle, they were praising God for who he was, even in the middle when it's like, we don't know what's gonna happen. They're praying and they're praising. And this goes on for a long, long time, weeks and weeks. One of The dad calls one of the worship leaders, whose name is David, he was not there at the time. He calls him and says, I need you to pray. Jackson is taking a turn for the worse and we really don't think he's gonna make it. I mean, it's just kind of the last straw. We don't think he's gonna make it. So this worship leader gets off the phone and he said he just knew in his spirit, he's just like, he's just, he's gonna die. I believe that, that we've been praying. We've been praying for the miracle. We've been praying for you to show up, God, but I feel like he's gonna die. And he said all of a sudden within his gut, in that moment of doubt, when he felt like the enemy was surrounding him, he felt raise up within him, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. And months later, after he had fully recovered, they were in church. And this song, Raise a Hallelujah, had been fully written, a song of victory in the midst of darkness, a song of proclaiming that God is a deliverer in the midst of, we don't really know what's happening. They get in the church service, the worship leader starts to teach the song, teaches them the, really where it came from, why he wrote this hallelujah song, praise ye the Lord, even in the middle of this dark circumstance. And this is the picture of Jackson in the audience with his dad, fully healed, with his hands raised to God. Jackson doesn't even fully know the implications of everything. But that whole congregation is saying, praise ye the Lord. They are gonna raise their hallelujah no matter what because God showed up. And they said raise a hallelujah even when it felt like they didn't know if God was gonna show up in that way. They were claiming God to be the deliverer and he is 
He is the deliverer. You know, this morning, I know there are several different people in the room that I'm talking to. The first group of people, I think, that I'm really talking to are some of you just need to engage your heart and mind in worship. Some of you need to just sit there and remember the goodness of God in your life. You may feel like everything's so smooth right now. Don't waste it. Don't waste the opportunity to fill the tank. Don't waste it, because I believe developing that habit and praise in the good times, it's gonna strengthen you to face the hard times, because the hard times are coming if you're not in it right now. They're coming back. You might be like, whoa, I just got out. They're coming back. It's just life. Life happens. But you just need to remember the goodness of God in your life, and you need to sing, and you need to worship like you believe it for yourself, but also for the people around you. You have no idea what that could be for the people around you because the other type of person in the room this morning I think is somebody who's right in the middle of the waiting. The idea of of putting the word hallelujah on your lips right now may seem foreign to you. It may seem foreign for you to say hallelujah, praise you the Lord because you're like, "But, but look at all this stuff. Look what I'm in the middle of. I've been waiting. I'm in a season. I don't know what God's gonna do. Why did I get in this situation? Why am I not out of it? Why am I not back on the mountaintop? You're right in the middle of it. And the best thing you can do this morning is try to raise your own hallelujah right in the middle of it. To say praise ye the Lord because you know he's still a God who delivers. And the third person, I think that's in the room, is just somebody who maybe just needs to listen this morning. Maybe you ended up here and you're like, I'm not 100% sure what this whole God thing is about and I definitely don't have a hallelujah to raise but maybe you hearing God's people that have gathered as a church this morning morning to sing out about who God is, maybe you hearing that is gonna open your eyes to his incredible love. Maybe it's gonna open your heart to his salvation for the first time as we cry on the name of the Lord because God loves you and he is with you and he is faithful. So every eye closed, every eye closed this morning, I just want you to consider where you are. I want you to consider where you are. Are you in a place where you're just ready to praise God? You're ready to lift the roof off of this place because you're like, I got something to sing about this morning. Or are you in the middle of it and you say, God, I need you to help me. I need a reason this morning. I need the praise of other people around me to remind me. The goodness of God, he is faithful. I wanna ask everyone in this room to stand. I don't wanna miss this moment. I don't want to rush out because as a church, we have a chance to respond in worship. We can raise a hallelujah this morning. Amen. Let's sing this out. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah.
an attack coming on by the enemy, this is what you're going to do. This is going to be your response. Let's practice. Come on. Sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. Come on and sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. Come on, sing a little when you leave here, no matter what it is, I pray that you can cling to the truth that God is good. He is faithful. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Have a great week. We hope to see you back next time.